0: What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley, getting ready to plunge in to another Hardware Knox mailbag. I will say, I'm going to try and do these two a week. We'll separate them into Discord, which I think will be Fridays, and then maybe Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, just midweek for Twitter and YouTube. I said this on the past podcast. um, I am humbled and thankful, grateful, gracious, however you want to phrase it, that we actually can get enough questions to tackle two separate mailbags in a week. I also this time of year when we're not you know dealing with anything mission critical and I'm really trying to delay doing any off season grades at the moment to see if anything kind of happens with Donovan Mitchell or Kevin Durant. Um, I-, I think that they're good material and I also you know I don't know why podcasts don't do this more if they don't have the engaged listener base. I totally get it. We're lucky enough to have it, but I want to talk about what you guys are asking. And if you're asking questions out of pity, I appreciate that too. But I like some of these questions or thought exercises I never thought of, or you know, one that's coming up in this podcast, like sort of, oh, you would think about it, but we haven't gone into detail with it. And I do think like you the audience is the most important part of podcasting writing or whatever. We need to I need to put out stuff that you guys want to talk about. And so it means the world that you're one asking questions, again, even if it's out of pity, but also just like I want to. I would do mailbags every single day if if we had the material or if that's what the the audience really Wanted. It's fun to dive into what, what you all are thinking or the questions that, that you have, and then to give my incorrect answers on them. It's fun. These are some of my favorite episodes. I love everyone knows I love good, like not necessarily hypothetical trade episodes, but I like analyzing new fits, when it, whether it's signing or trades. But mailbags are by far and away some of my favorite content. And so if you're wondering why we do two a week um, or why there was a week where I did like eight of them, like that's just why I love them. And I think if the questions are there, why not utilize um, the audience and hopefully you all enjoy them back that's way too much rambling for an intro but i will put in finally remember to rate review and subscribe to us wherever you're getting your podcast if you're on youtube hit that subscribe button it would be absolutely spectacular as we build up the community closing in on 1.5k youtube subscribers i really want to get to like a zillion youtube subscribers but if you can help us juice up those numbers let's go 2k before the season at minimum but i would like to like can we flirt with 3k or 5k like really get the word out there so if you haven't already or if you're watching on youtube please it would mean the world if you hit that subscribe button like comment to break the algorithm and of course if you're listening to this on your podcast player download every episode um subscribe to us if you haven't already obviously if, if you're new around these parts and ratings help us a ton and word of mouth retweet our promos tell friends family members acquaintances coworkers about us if you know they enjoy hoops or random people on the internet we appreciate shout outs whenever we get them um, when we see them in our mentions if there's a solicitation for oh can you name a podcast that people should listen to for basketball or sports or or that's underrated because we are underrated af i am or i guess we keep using the we're gonna go we still with the pronoun there um, and you all are underrated AF2 for listening and slogging through these three-minute introductions. Let's move on, though. Let's dive into the mailbag. I'm going to have one Discord question here because it's related to something that came on Twitter, but this was through Twitter and YouTube. Uh, let's start with Jay Childers uh, from YouTube asking, what are the potential best benches in the league going into next season? This was like a thinker, and there are some teams that I think this could change depending on how the rest of the offseason shakes up so some of the first ones that came to mind Boston and that like snuck up on me because I'm sure there might be people that make the case that they're shallow Uh, just looking at their rotation now coming off the bench Danilo Gallinari Malcolm Brogdon um, and still having Grant Williams there and let's not forget about Peyton Pritchard as well I guess, you know, do you want a different type of, they did sign Bruno Caboclo. He has a chance to make the training camp roster apparently as well as Noah Vonley. It does seem like they're a little concerned about having that. I would call them a third big because Horford and RW3 are going to start together. Like that nine-man rotation is just, and Derek White, I didn't even mention him. So that nine, 10-man rotation is just chock full of guys who are all really ridiculously good defensively. And maybe, look, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, Jalen Brown, Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White, Marcus Smart, Robert Williams III, and Grant Williams. So that's your eight-man rotation right there and they're all really good defensively. And then I didn't mention Danilo Gallinari. So like you have four strong bench players at least. They could be there. I'm wondering if I'm taking a risk just because their bench skews like small or it's Danilo Gallinari or Grant Williams where it's well, those are both kind of one-position players. Do you want Grant Williams at the five? Um, they could be in there. This feels weird because I'm, I'm not high on their offseason at all, but Dallas... If they're really going to start Javale McGee and Christian Wood, um, you have so you would have coming off the bench Maxi Kleba and Spencer Dinwiddie, which is a great start right there. You all know how I feel about Frank Aquina. Reggie Bullock is probably also part of that equation. Is Tim Hardaway Jr. coming off the bench as well? I think it would. You're looking at so let's assume they're going to start Wood and Javale McGee, which I think is fucking stupid. But Wood, McGee, Doncic, Dorian Finney Smith, those are your four. Are you putting in Dinwiddie in the starting lineup to try to? replace brunson or did you just put tim hardaway jr there because he's such a quintessential fit with luca um but then if you have him coming off the bench or when coming off the bench i could just i could see it uh we have to this was the first team that i think came to my mind was the the clippers um they're just so deep they have so many wings to the point that uh, myself and also Brayden from Discord. We've been trying to find Marcus Morris' senior trade so that we can ensure that Amir Coffey plays and he wants to see more of Brandon Lawson Jr. as well. Uh, their starting lineup, I think, is going to be Reggie Jackson, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and then Avisa Zubats, who gets the starting other four spot, I guess you would call it. I assume it's going to be Marcus Morris. And then you're looking at Norman Powell, Luke Kennard, Robert Covington, John Wall, Nick Batum all coming up. Terrence Mann, that's 11 fucking players. They can't play eleven. We need to shorten this rotation up. I didn't even mention Brandon Boston Jr. and Amir Coffey are going to be on that bench too. This team is so deep. They're probably going to have, as of right now, I'd say the best bench in the league. I mean, look at let's just name these players. Forget about like start. We know some of them will start. But Paul George, Kawhi, Marcus Morris, Norm Powell, Luke Kennard, Robert Covington, Reggie Jackson, Avita Zubats, Nick Batum, John Wall. Terrence Mann, and if you really, and then Amir Coffee, like that's twelve. If you feel differently about Brandon Boston Jr. and think he needs to play, that's just twelve guys, and so only five of those 12s are going to start. That gives you just like a very intriguing seven man bench rotation. The other team that I have here, uh, and I, I have question marks written around them because I'm not sure if they should be here. I have the Dubs. I think you look at the kids, and they're kind of the swing pieces there. But you have Dante vincenzo That's going to be a perfect dis- addition. Jordan Pool coming off the bench already. And then if you're getting Kaminga, Moody, Wiseman, what if two of those guys hit? That just becomes like incredibly absurd. And so I don't know. I think they could work their way into the discussion. Even if one of the kids hits this season, Moses Moody looked, just looks ready. I feel like he's just going to be plug and play. Kaminga had some nice moments. If James Wyatt is healthy, I don't expect them to go all bench guys at once. That's a lot of pressure on Jordan Poole and Dante DiVincenzo. But kind of having DV and Poole as your top two guys off the bench you probably want, and then I, I just, Moody is probably the guy I'm not highest on long term, but just immediately. Um, Moody, Kamingo, Wiseman, I, I think they deserve an honorable mention there. Uh, one that I'm sure, I'm not sure is getting enough shine. I mean, are we even talking about benches in, in the discourse uh, at this point of the offseason? The Pelicans. So your starting five should be Zion, Valentunis, Ingram, CJ McCollum, and I would say Herb Jones. Like you don't need a point guard in there. And so you're looking at off the bench, Devontae Graham could have a better year. Larry Nance Jr., Jackson Hayes, Trey Murphy the III. Uh, and then does Dyson Daniels crack this rotation? Does Kyra Lewis crack this rotation? A lot of intriguing guys when you're looking at basically roster spots 1 through 12 still, um, at least 1 through 11. So there, I could see their bench just being uh, incredibly potent. I like individually all of their talents. How do they coalesce if you're looking at You know, I don't, I'm not in love with Jackson Hayes, but Larry Nance Jr. specifically, everyone who listens to this podcast knows that I am like incredibly sky high on uh, Dyson Daniels and then also Trey Murphy the third. So that just right there is, um, is a great baseline. And then, like I said, Devontae Graham is a better basketball player than he showed last year. And then you're assuming they're always going to have like one of Ingram, McCollum, and Zion on the court at one point. I actually might want to see, I guess it depends on, Yeah, I think I want to see a lot of Zion plus let's go full bench here, or at least close to it, because Larry Nance Jr., that's your front court, stretch the floor there. I guess that sort of uh, weeds out Jackson Hayes in certain instances. Dyson Daniels not the best shooter, but having uh, Trey Murphy in there and then Devontae Graham, that would be a five-man unit I would absolutely fave. I fave that. That's the Zion plus bench. I want to see it in New Orleans. Finally, I don't know if this is going to hold, but the Knicks, their bench was basically a high point of what they did last season. And so it's tough to, I guess, guess pin down exactly what their bench will look like. But let's just assume that Mitchell Robinson, Randall, Brunson, and R.J. Barrett are guaranteed your starting spots. Is the third one going to Fournier? Is it going to go to Cam Reddish or Quentin Grimes uh, if they want to lean defense? Uh, The caveat to all of this is what if Donovan Mitchell is acquired? uh there's probably no more Fournier in that deal probably no more quentin grimes i think factored into the bench rotation but i'm looking at possible bench guys here uh d rose has been good for them but isaiah hartenstein what a fantastic pickup by the knicks Obi top in emmanuel quickly and then cam reddish or quentin grimes and or quentin grimes and even if look one of two of these three are going to be coming off the bench and cam reddish grimes and fournier uh that's fine that's a great spot to be in and so if the knicks wind up not acquiring donovan mitchell I could very easily see their bench being a bright spot yet again. And I really hope we get to see basically RJ Barrett plus your four best bench players, let's say, or maybe not even four best, but give me RJ Barrett at this, who I project to start. Give me RJ Barrett. And then off the bench with Grimes quickly, Hartenstein and Toppin. Give me that five man unit. I fave that too. I'm faving a lot of things right now. Um, those are my, if I had to predict the, I wanted to win it down to five and I think I have six here. Uh, I'm going to say Boston, Dallas, Golden State, the Clippers, the Pelicans, and the Knicks. There are definitely more that could creep in there, but those are the ones that stood out. I can tell you right now, the Lakers bench is not making the cut for me, insofar as anyone cares about that. Nathan Stock from YouTube asks, I know you already responded to this before, but which team will be higher in seedings next year, Magic or Pistons, and long-term, say five years? The five-year question is really tough here because Cade Cunningham is my favorite player on both of these teams, even when factoring in Paolo Bancaro, Jalen Suggs, and Jaden Ivey in Detroit. Um, but it does feel like the Magic have more ready-made, slightly more proven NBA-level talent that fits in long-term to where, oh, okay, we know that, okay, aside from Bancaro, but we know that Fultz works. We know that um, we're still invested in Jalen Suggs. We know Franz Wagner's already really good. Uh, we know if Jonathan Isaac is ever healthy, what we could potentially have in him. We know Wendell Carter Jr. is good. Um, Bamba's good. So I think Orlando, looking at next season specifically, will be higher in the standings. The pathway to that not happening is one, Kate is a fucking superhuman, which I'm just going to pencil in anyway. And then two, oh, man, Carroll's not good right off the bat. And Wendell Carter Jr. regresses. Jalen Suggs doesn't improve from last year. Maybe we see a drop-off from Franz Wagner and even Mo Bamba. I'm not predicting any of that. So injuries, I'm like throw that out of the equation. Long term, oh man, in five years, I I'm still probably going with the magic here. It's just the Pistons with Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran, I for me it's hard to project having not seen that in action yet. To where I can look at the baseline of this Orlando team and know that Franz Wagner, Suggs, Wendell Carter Jr., Mo Bamba, even Mark Fultz after he was um not injured anymore last year. Like I, I watched those guys play together. Like Gary Harris is still on this team too, by the way, contract that's built to trade that he signed, but he was very good for them. Had a sort of an offensive renaissance. I, I right now I think you have to go them because there's more guaranteed talent there. Uh, but the Pistons have a better chance of being the five-year answer. I think than the immediate answer, because Cade still needs a lot of these other pieces around him to develop. I think you could just also argue though, that like the top end talent of Orlando, could end up being better in Franz Wagner, Jalen Suggs and Paolo Bancaro versus KJ Ivey, and Durin, or unless you want to put Sidipe and Duran Durin's place there. I'm assuming no one's going to put Killian Hayes there. I'm going to go with Orlando. I don't feel great about the five-year answer next season though. I definitely think it's, it's the magic. Uh, we do have another magic related question. So let's get to that. Drew asked the magic question mark. And so the welcome wagon in discord asked the Orlando magic have a bit of a log jam at guard. Who's their point guard now? Is Suggs definitely the point guard of the future? Uh, I'm not, I'm going to, let's answer the second one first. I don't think Suggs is definitely the point guard of the future because maybe he's just not a point guard. You can easily play him at the two. I don't think the Magic are ever going to be in this position because of how big they are. Uh, You could get away, I think, in certain matchups with playing him at the three. I liked what I saw from him last year looking at the, fundamental aesthetics of his game i think the self-created jumper is going to be fine i think this is someone who has the strength to really make plays when going downhill and they gave him the opportunity the agency over the offense to really explore and basically drive things maybe that's not his best role maybe the team just wasn't talented enough around him let's see what he looks like when there's bantero and franz wagner surrounding him uh that that could be super helpful I still believe that Jalen Suggs is going to be an all-star in the league. I guess ask me in a year and see if I still believe that. But that's where I'm at with Jalen Suggs. Their point guard right now, if we're just looking at – I mean, the answer is whether it's for starting or long-term purposes. I think it's Markel Fultz. I caught shit from Orlando Magic's fans on – I think it was Twitter. Maybe it was YouTube. I can't remember at this point. I didn't cite Markel Fultz as a building block for them. I just don't think that's him. Like, it's good that he can, you know, we've seen him like sneak pick and rolls, hit mid-range jumpers, get going downhill. I think his rim volume still leaves a little bit to be desired. Uh, can he hit more of his free throws? Can he get to the foul line more often? Um, the three-point shot is, like, can there be like sort of a slow-moving methodical release where defenses are dropping and he's making them pay? Or just sort of a set three-point uh, shot where he's getting hit with the ball from Banqueiro or Suggs, maybe even Wagner, good. Wendell Carter Jr., good playmaker as well. I need to see, like, that stuff happen uh, before I say that he is their point guard of the future or even, uh, like, a cornerstone in the same breath as not just Bancaro and Wagner and, let's say, Suggs, but even as a Wendell Carter Jr. when I'm looking at the long-term value of the roster. I do think Fultz might have a better chance of being a building block for this team than Isaac at this point. I also think you just start him this season. He's probably... Ben Carroll could end up being the best passer on your team right now, but you look at what Fultz does defensively. He's no worse than your second best passer. Could Suggs or Wendell Carter Jr. surpass him this season? Maybe Cole Anthony's not going to, that's just more of a microwave scoring sixth man. I, I think. And then RJ Hampton, who the aesthetics of when he gets going, I'm still sort of smitten by, uh, he has yet to really put it together. So I, I don't like, those are your only other options. I don't know that you're going to, uh, hope to find someone else. Now, the real answer could be that the point guard, let's say the floor general of the future, is not on this team. I think that might be a fair thing to say because perhaps it it doesn't. I'm going to kill a bug that's flying around me at the moment. How's that for podcasting? If you're on video, um, there there's a chance that like you need either need to draft your floor general or acquire them via trade. I think that's why Donovan Mitchell has been sort of a popular name here, or even a Shakeel Alexander for whimsical think- thinkers. Even if you don't view those guys as floor generals, the combination of them, Bancaro, and Suggs feels like it makes a lot of sense there. Uh, But Fultz has the best chance, I still think, of being the long-term answer on this roster. But I also might tilt toward, yeah, even if I think Bancaro is the best passer or going to be the best passer on this team, the answer might just be, oh, that player is not currently on the roster. And that's not an insult to the Magic's rebuild. Like I said, we've named off a lot of great talent that they have there. Gracious Hosts from Twitter asks, what's the best rotation for the Timberwolves going to be with their current roster. That's a good question. I think, look, the starting lineup is etched in stone D Anthony Edwards, Jane McDaniels, Carl Anthony Towns, and Rudy Gobert. bear. Um, how are you going to mix and match the bench? I think what happens, I'm not including him in the bench rotation, but you want to see more of cat. I think with the bench players, just because of what he does offensively. And like your secondary creation, isn't necessarily all that strong at the moment. And it gets weaker. If you trade, decide to trade D-Low, although maybe you're bringing back another passer in, in that scenario. So I, I think that what this is all to say. I don't know where Nas Reed fits into all this. Maybe they decide to still stay dual bigs with Cat and Nas Reed in second units. But I could see him getting squeezed out of the. I'm trying to build a 10 man rotation here, uh, or nine man rotation. If you're asking me who are going to be like the most used bench players, Kyle Anderson for sure. That's why you sign him. I think Austin Rivers is going to play a, a really or not really important, but a fairly pivotal uh, role on this team, just as someone who can give you some wing minutes and space the floor, perhaps. I think Jordan McLaughlin, uh, who really shot over 40% from three to close out the year last season, that's someone you need to keep in the rotation as well. Just like I said, you don't have a lot of secondary creator here, which is sort of the sacrifice of giving up Patrick Beverly, and then you weren't even deep in that area to begin with. Maybe you thought Malik Beasley could do more of that than an Austin Rivers, but you have Anderson. I think Torian Prince... Uh, he had a fairly good season for them, so you need to play him. So I would have Anderson, Rivers, McLaughlin, and Prince as my four most used bench players, and then I'm assuming that we see a lot of Cat there. If not, then Nas Reed for sure. Pencilman is that 10th. Maybe at least Brent Forbes being the odd man out. I can't imagine uh, we'll see McLaughlin or Rivers get squeezed for him. Maybe if they're not hitting their threes, that's where you would put Forbes in because he's just a pure fucking scorer. That's how I'd probably structure my rotation, though, is I want to see Cat the most. With the bench mob, uh, you could tell me if you disagree, but I think that's the route to go given their—I uh, don't want to say dearth of offensive secondary offensive creation—but that's like sort of what they have. Is they have all these tertiary creators, but no one you would look at and say, "Oh, that's that's like a second primary or a third primary behind Lo and Edwards." I think McLaughlin comes closest to that. Maybe it's Kyle Anderson. So, Dilo, Edwards, Jane, McDaniel's, Cat, Go Bear in the starting lineup, and then my most used bench players: Kyle Anderson, Austin Rivers, Jordan McLaughlin, Torian Prince. I have Nas Reed after that, but again, I'm I'm just curious to see if they are going to pencil in Kat or even Gobert to a lot of solo big man minutes, which in turn would kind of... Nas Reed can stretch the floor and play with either one of them, but in theory, if you want some of those one big minutes, he's going to be the player that gets squeezed. Uh, Cito, Cinematic Universe, what does a Trey Young by DeJounte Murray backcourt look like at its best and at its worst? Same with Gobert and Kat frontcourt in Minnesota. So for Trey and DeJounte Murray, I think what it looks like is we see uh, the the Hawks having their point of attack defender against really every single team. It makes it easier to not only move around Trey Young, but then move around DeAndre, DeAndre Hunter, who his assignments are all now all of a sudden trickling down to the number two or the number three option. And that ends up being a no-brainer fit. On offense, the best version is Trey Young gets moving off the ball. You're setting screens for him. He's flying around, knocking them. These quick fire looks off the catch while Murray sort of orchestrates, puts some um pressure on on the basket and on our defense, maybe hits some mid-range jumpers coming out of the pick and roll. At its worst, though, I think they struggle to find the on-ball, off-ball dynamic between them. Trey Young probably can't set screens on his own away from the ball for others, but what if he's just not a guy who can get moving off the ball? What if he's more Luka Doncic or James Harden in that regard uh, than he is Steph Curry or Damian Lillard, who's not really used in that? that capacity still i think he could be um and then Dejounte murray if you need trey on the ball can he hit enough of his set threes maybe he uses a cutter can use him as a screener um that would be at its worst to where your offense with these two actually regresses from the trey centric offense that you've had these years um also on the best version is Dejounte murray is able to elevate your trey list lineups too and we saw some combinations work for atlanta last season but if you have Dejounte murray and john collins and Maybe is Bogdan Magdanovich starting? No. Like if you have those three as sort of your base and you're filling out the rest of the bench there, you're hoping you win the Trey minutes now all of a sudden. So best case you've really elevated your defensive pecking order and while also um, enhancing your offensive structure, especially with Trey off the court, worst case they just don't mesh on the, on the offensive end. And I do think that's a possibility, which is why it was a gamble. I sort of buy the gamble by Atlanta. For Minnesota, the best case is just that they're a top-seven defense and a top-seven offense. Uh, Maybe it's top-five and five, but Colony Towns, the way he spaces the floor and can be used, uh, I don't think there's a problem making him your de facto four on that side of the ball. And you're getting, like, you know, having D'Lo and Anthony Edwards in those lineups as well, you should be able to get enough shooting, including with Jaden McDaniels. And then on defense, it's just you're allowing Carlton Towns to be hyper-aggressive playing up. Gobert's behind him if players get by him. Maybe Towns is just smarter because now he's learning from Gobert or practicing with Gobert and just becoming more nuanced on on defense. Is he all of a sudden just a much better um, rim protector when it comes to making reads on on help? Um, but I think the Wolves specifically now are built to be even more aggressive on defense to where you have Jaden McDaniels and Anthony Edwards and Carlton Towns sort of flying around and taking chances. You're meticulously carving out the D'Angelo Russell's matchups, and all the while you know Gobert's behind cleaning up everything and if he needs to come out you of Anthony Edwards are more likely Jane McDaniels to come in as just your helper and muck up plays should they uh, happen around the basket worst case um we're just looking at the the defense maybe not being as the defense is going to be I think the offensive fit maybe where is there some sort of crimped spacing Conaty Towns can space the floor great But like Anthony Edwards, even D'Angelo Russell and Jaden McDaniels are all those guys above average enough shooters that Gobert has ample opportunity to be so devastating when he's rolling um, out of the the screen and rolls and making those dives to the basket. If you can't count on those guys to hit a very high percentage of their catch and shoot clips or if it's D'Lo and Edwards running the primary pick and roll, I could see the offense more so than the defense actually being worse than expected. I am hoping this is apropos of nothing. I, I want to see big on big pick and roll. I just want to see Connorthy town running pick and rolls for, uh, with Rudy Gobert at the screener. I will it work. I don't know uh, if the other players are shooting the ball well enough Then sure. Uh, but yeah, the offense could be just fickle, especially if like, how is Kyle Anderson fitting in? Are you ever playing him with Gobert at the same time? And then him and Gobert and cat at the same time, there are some certain questions there. It's, it's weird that I have the more so on offense, for a team with Towns and Edwards and, and Uh The next question is also Timberwolves related. Caden Yoss, thoughts on the lack of Anthony Edwards talk this summer. Seems people are forgetting about him. He's been working on his floater and short mid-range game, which our ex- expectations be for him and the Timberwolves as a whole this coming season. I don't think it's weird that there's been a lack of Anthony Edwards talk. Uh, everyone sort of has accepted that he's just like this certified star ascending, which is a great place to be. And then the Wolves just went all the way in, not just on Rudy Gobert, looking at that trade but carl anthony towns because they gave him that super max extension and there's sort of been the trickle down effect of one what the conversation of was it worth giving up the extra draft equity to keep jay mcdaniels and what's going to happen with dlo he's in a contract here very expensive salary at the moment is he a, is he someone that they're able to move divest into deepening their rotation a little bit or are they going to move forward just with this uh, i don't want to say very top heavy but a very intriguing tippy top of your nucleus but for edwards uh If he's working on his mid-range game and and floater game, that's huge for the Wolves to have someone who, aside from Nilo, and can do it maybe hopefully more efficiently than Nilo, have that in-between touch, and it adds just another dimension to Edwards' offense where he's putting real pressure on the basket, and he is a dangerous shooter. His catch-and-shoot threes have been mostly fine. He did shoot 34.4% after the All-Star break on off-the-bounce triples. That's huge, and so if you're going to progress as an in-between scorer there, you just become a threat, not just at every level, but sort of in every form. He shot 50% on drives, and I actually think he has like a lot of room to grow as a finisher when you're kind of looking at his angles and takeoff points. Um, Something to watch for is he's definitely made improvements as a passer. His decision-making after he can leave his feet or throw those jump passes and those like 11th-hour decisions, uh, they're really good and impactful, but when you watch him and he – I like that he's sort of he's making quicker, it feels like the swing passes where he doesn't hold on to the ball as long if he's not attacking. Can he be more of that methodical setup man uh and develop the chemistry in the half court with Gobert? Because a lot of the assists that he's racking up, they're not coming out of passing guys open. It's he's passing to guys who are already open because he collapsed the defense. And there's going to be some more complicated reads he has to make if you want him to connect with Rui Gobert. I also think it's important that he sort of makes that jump. Uh Because if you don't think D'Lo is long for this team, even beyond next year, well, you don't have that guy, like that primary floor general type to slow things down and make those plays. And you might even argue that D'Lo is not the perfect solution should he stay there anyway. I think Edwards is capable of making that type of a leap as a playmaker just because he's still so young. And we've seen someone who's willing to get rid of the ball and he's not going to put it on the floor. And again, after he's leaving his feet, finding guys, and he already looks comfortable just... Towns specifically, he just knows where Towns is going to be and throwing passes behind him. So he's made some difficult passes, but in terms of making more complicated reads or passing guys actually open uh, outside of transition, maybe, I'm just saying I'd like to see him not rel- not rely less, but can he pass outside the context of, well, the defense is giving me so much attention as I'm as I'm going downhill, or I'm catching the ball and throwing that touch pass or that swing pass. I'd like to see him make those more conventional floor general type reads. And I think it's going to be important to him actualizing his ceiling. I look at him defensively though. Maybe you'd like to see a little bit more one-on-one improvement. He is what I would call a defensive disruptor or playmaker where now, especially with Gobert and Jaden McDaniels there, or even Zlatus with Kyle Anderson, this is someone who can force turnovers away from the ball in bunches. Uh, if you're asking for his ceiling in general, and I've mentioned this many times before, it's all NBA Top ten player in the league, material. That's where he's at for me. I don't know if I'd go top five um, that far, but like if, if you told me he was the second best two guard in the league last year behind Devin Booker, let's use an example where it's Devin Booker or Jalen Brown. Let's say just say top three with those two there. I'm not. I'm not going to push back. He's probably already a top five two guard or off guard, whatever you want to call it. Um, if you want him to be the top ten player in the league, material, I think he does need to make the biggest leap at, as that primary offensive engine not as a scorer, but as a passer and i i do think he's capable of it does he get there this year i don't know there's a lot of moving parts here with minnesota's roster uh but i will say we should expect him to be in the all-star discussion if not fringe all nba material and the timberwolves as a whole i don't want to even tether them to a playoff context because i i just don't know but i think in the regular season this is a team I don't want to say. I'm going to say it should be a top five team in the West because I you have to recognize Phoenix and Golden State shouldn't go anywhere. The Clippers and Nuggets are going to be healthier, so like they should be around that same. The Timberwolves or the Pelicans to me are the teams that I look at and say, okay, even more so than the Lakers right now, they should be hovering around that that four team tier of Phoenix, Golden State, uh, Denver and L.A. If uh, the L.A. Clippers, both of them are, both those squads are are healthy, so that's where I'm at. the Timberwolves, I think they're going to be dominant during the regular season, I just have questions with the playoffs. And I think Anthony Edwards is a future top 10 player in the league. I think he will be closer to all-star slash all. M. I think he will be closer to all NBA consideration than outside it this year. And by that, I mean, like this should be someone who's probably a decidedly top 25 top 20 guy in the league uh, consensus by the end of next season. And I apologize if that insulted any Timberwolves fans, because I know, There are people who support teams that get mad when you don't say, oh, well, best in the league for each of these guys. Tom asks, here's a proposal. Make the half court line a four point line. Your thoughts. Fuck it. Do it. I'm all for just innovation to see how it works. I don't think we get players, at least other than Steph Curry, maybe trying to take those during real game time. It might add an element of intrigue to the end of games, though, where teams are trailing by four and it's all of a sudden it's a one-possession game. Can we make that like the final two minutes or something? The half-court like line is worth four points. Uh, I would absolutely try it, though, because I don't really think it would impact shot selection for the first 43 minutes of games at least. And maybe you only make it, dur- again, during a final time there. But um, I think the league, in general, talk is cooled on the addition of a four-point line when they see how far these guys are taking shots anyway. And I do wonder how people would feel knowing, like, okay, well, what does that do to when we're trying to provide... Context across history, when it comes to scoring, um, that's also some of the same issues run into when you talk about shortening a season. Uh, I fave it though; it wouldn't be at the top of my priority list, Tom. But give me give me a four point half court line, even if it's only again for the end of games. Luke Angelica asks, what metrics/slash statistics do you think hold the most weight in predicting future success of a player? Objectively, there have been studies done where steal rate and free throw percentage from college pretty much translate well to the pros it's the same as true shooting percentage uh if you're looking for an advanced metric that i trust to project moving forward i don't know that there is one when you look at regularized adjusted plus minus rapm being able to look at that at a three and five year scale maybe that allows me to project impact at least you know mentally like when i'm thinking about it critically a little bit more but that might just be more of a better version of like recapping recapping impact rather than projecting i will say when i'm trying to assign future value to a player i'm looking at context a lot more now like yes the efficiency matters but and and i'll i'll go by this when i'm looking at college guys going to the pros or if i'm just looking at players who are young are they scaling upward or or they're just being talked about more i'm looking at the uh, criteria or the The manner in which their, let's say, shots are coming, and that's like the biggest one for me. Uh, If their efficiency is holding really well and most of their baskets are coming off assists and their play finishers, catch-and-shoot guys, that's great, that's fine. Um, I am looking at, though, let's use Shea Gilders alexander as an example, not the most efficient player ever, but when you've seen the past two seasons, like 85% of his main field goals have gone unassisted, it matters that he's been able to prop up any sort of league average-ish. Efficiency when he's responsible for generating so many of his own looks, and it's the same thing with RJ Barrett. Although that's difficult, more difficult to discern, uh, just because we've seen his role change so much. And that's another thing you're you're looking at is how does their usage change, not just in totality, but the context of it. Uh, we've seen RJ Barrett towards the end of last season; he was taking more self-generated looks. That matters when you're talking about whether you're worried. Uh, About his efficiency numbers right now but it also matters that this is someone who by and large throughout his career has done a promising job of hitting his catch and shoot threes because it implies that he is more plug and play than people give him credit for this isn't DeMar DeRozan who needs to have the ball in his hands to make an impact you can trust him right now to hit those set jumpers I would say definitely more than a DeRozan maybe at this point even more so than a Jimmy Butler given as how his career arc has panned out so I know that's not a quintessential or the perfect answer to your question but those are the the context of someone's role usage the way that their shots are coming is something that i use a lot when i'm trying to evaluate not what just happened what i'm watching what i'm seeing what i'm feeling but what could happen moving forward and so for an rj barrett and we had this question on a previous mailbag no he has not finished the year at league-wide efficiency of the average efficiency yet through three years that could be concerning but we've seen it happen with other players like a Bradley Beal or even a Kemba Walker and with Bradley Beal specifically there's the parallel of their role it's not even just the types of shots they're taking but their role changed flip-flopped a lot throughout those first three years and the fact that we know a little bit more about RJ Barrett as a catch-and-shoot guy that we saw specifically towards the latter end of this season what he could do as an on-ball creator what we've seen the past two years when you plug him as sort of the the main guy in benchmark units, all of that's valuable. And I try and look at those things and it doesn't mean I'm throwing efficiency out the window, but if you're going to say that RJ Barrett is super inefficient, I do think it's important early on to understand why for fast forwarding five years, he's been in the league, um, for seven, eight, nine seasons. Then you can get into the, the macro takes of, well, maybe this guy and even before then, but that's where you get to, well, maybe this, this guy is who he is. And there's not that much room or runway for growth. Overall, though, Luke, uh, free um, free throw percentage and steal rate have been. The, I've read, and I think Seth Part now of the Athletic uh, Nerdery wrote pod is banging this from a lot. Like those are two good uh, predictors of NBA success, but like really only in those categories. You can extrapolate free throw shooting though to see whether a player might have more range or more consistency from beyond the arc. Eric, how much better is Donovan Mitchell than Dwayne Wade? I Eric, are you like a jazz fan or would you be a Knicks or Heat fan at this point? Just curious. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, not better than Dwayne Wade. Definitely a more dynamic jump shooter, but you look at their, I went with their age 25 seasons specifically, and let's break it down per 36 minutes. Donovan Mitchell, 27.5 points per 36 minutes, 5.7 assists, 53.3% of his twos. And, Uh 35.5% of his threes last year. Wade, 26 points per 36 minutes, 7.2 assists, and he was he hit less of his free throws, shot 49 or excuse me, shot 51.1% on twos. So Mitchell has the edge there as well. Uh 26.6% from three on substantially less volume. Their shot profiles are drastically different here when you look at um just what's coming at the rim for Wade versus what was for Mitchell. I will say what what stands out differently, Dwayne Wade at this stage was actually the better playmaker definitely the better rim pressure guy and finisher i would i would think at least better at putting pressure on the basket uh so better passer better rim finisher getting to the line more almost like he doubled donovan mitchell's free throw attempts per 36 minutes in his age 25 season so we're talking about someone who his drives his attacks they don't bail out as much as mitchell who was more likely to settle for is more likely to settle for those mid-range jumpers and then also the thing that we can't discount is like Dwayne Wade at age 25 was better defensively than Mitchell is right now and not like the best defensive player in the NBA material but this is someone and we didn't have the same metrics or maybe eye for talent that we did then he was a three-time member of all defensive teams and like Mitchell hasn't even hinted that he might be on like that type of, of trajectory And Wade made an all-defensive team, I think it was in his second season. Yeah, 2004-2005. I'm right. So I don't think Don Mitchell right now is better than Dwayne Wade. Do I think he has a ceiling where he could be better than Dwayne Wade? Looking at the versatility behind his offense where he could be more of an every-level score, those those off-the-dribble threes, Um, and then even just like as a mid-range guy, maybe you would trust him more overall. I do think there's an outcome where he's the better offensive player than Dwayne Wade, but overall it's tough without Mitchell making like this monster leap on the defensive end. And maybe we see that with his next team or, or next season, uh, but like, you know, or maybe there's just like a, a drastic improvement at, at getting to the line. Uh, there needs to be, I would say a semi seismic improvement somewhere in one area of Mitchell's game for him to be on that kind of trajectory with all due respect. Eric, uh, th- that here's our last question. Uh, NBA chicken asked, What are your thoughts on a no conference system? Just have playoffs uh, of one to 16 by record, plus playing and go from there. Could have the opportunity to have some uh, wild playoff matchups. Yeah, I'm all for it. Fuck divisions and conferences at this point. I understand though that travel is something the league is worried about. Doesn't matter that much when you get to the postseason and you can space games out a little bit more. Um, the other thing is just like, it would be really cool. The playing could get wild then. So you're having all these sort of different teams in there. And I'm wondering, could we do it this way in the interim? If they don't want to go for the significant appreciable change, let's keep it like the, the top six teams from each conference guaranteed a playoff spot. But then do we have seven, eight, nine, ten 10 from each conference? Those eight teams are thrown into the same playing pool. Is that some, is that unfair at all? Uh, and maybe you could even say the teams with the best records there, like the two best, or let's say the two best records get to pick their opponent. Like for the like, let's do something creative like that. I would be all for no conference overall. I do. I don't know if the league ever gets there. Um, I'd be more optimistic on something along these lines. And it seems like they're not as focused on it when you're looking at this midseason tournament that they're going to implement down the line. Uh, but can we like get a taste of it a little bit? Like, can't we use the play-in? To that degree, or is that just a hard no? Because we're talking about single game elimination and, and think of the travel there, space them out more. Like, I, I want to see just something a little bit different. And, like, yeah, uh, you're looking at the mat, like the Grizzlies would have played, uh, which by the way, wild and just under the radar. The Grizzlies had they weren't just a two seed in the West last year, they had the second best record in the NBA. That is just wild when it's framed that way. Uh, but we were like Grizzlies, Cavs that have been a hell of a playoff series. Like, that's what it would have been if we just went with the um the best teams. Although the playing technically would have happened, so maybe it wouldn't have been. But like, yeah, there, there would have been a, a bunch more fun matchups. Uh the, the Heat versus the Nets in the first round, maybe. Uh I'm I'm the matchups would be a lot cooler. And then it gets you out of theoretically a point where it feels like maybe we would be watching the NBA finals sometimes unfold in the conference finals. But people often too too much oversimplify that in general so i don't have like a major issue with conferences uh and like there's been when you're going 10 deep in each conference at the moment there's less egregious of oh well all these mediocre east teams are getting in still generally speaking like the i'm more intrigued by the bottom half of the west than i am the bottom half of the east and in a given season thus far so yes i'm all for getting rid of conferences but could we maybe get rid of it for the play-in because that would like, does that correct a little bit? And I can tell you right now that there are so many teams that push back against it. I believe the loudest one would probably be the Charlotte Hornets who exist to finish under Michael Jordan between seven and 10 in the Eastern Conference. But I, maybe even the Wizards would heavily object that. But yeah, can we at least get to that point? This mailbag was fun. It was great. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll have another one later this week just for Discord. Thank you everyone for their questions as always. If this is your first time listening to the pod, please subscribe. Hit the subscribe button on YouTube. Subscribe button wherever you get your podcast players. And until next time, I leave you the shout out to the one, the only, Frank Neely.